0: Welcome to C-Diff Spores and More with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C-Diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala.
1: Welcome to the program today, and thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to be here today with you. And first, we'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Clorox HealthCare, uh, who is keeping environment safer, please visit their website at cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash cdiffradio.com. And we want to also welcome to the program today uh, our wonderful guest, Maureen Spencer, And Maureen is here to discuss the COVID 19 coronavirus. uh, Time to review the basics through infection prevention, symptoms, and the healthcare focus today. Welcome to the program, Maureen. Thank you, Nancy. You are welcome. And Maureen, would you mind just taking a moment and just um, introducing yourself uh, to
2: the global audience? Sure. Um, My background is as an infection prevention nurse. I've been doing it my entire nursing career. Most of the career was up in the Boston area where I was the director of Massachusetts General Hospital and an orthopedic hospital called New England Baptist Hospital, as well as two other hospitals. And then I was a corporate director at Universal Health Services, which has 28 acute care hospitals in seven states. So that was, you know, a bit of a a different uh, kind of a take on infection prevention and trying to standardize programs throughout not only the entire healthcare system of UHS, but also the fact that they were all different states with different, you know, state laws and guidelines and so forth. And for a short period of time, I actually worked with a molecular diagnostic firm in Tucson called Accelerate Diagnostics. So I kind of saw what it was like to be on the industry side, but most of my career has been in the acute Acute care, uh, infection control, and prevention field.
1: Exactly. Maureen, we just really appreciate your background, and it's so interesting. And we just appreciate everything you do for everyone. So thank you for that. Thank you. Well, and thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. We're just so glad to have you here today. And <laughs> this is a review program. And I think it's great if we start at the beginning. And Maureen, um, we're going to ask you what is a coronavirus?
2: Okay. Well, last week I did a show, um, and we talked about this. But again, just to review for people that didn't hear that uh, show last week uh, when I talked about coronavirus. And we're going to talk about different topics this week. This is kind of a part two. Um, the first thing I always, when when I talk to somebody who doesn't know what coronavirus is, is to explain the difference between a bacterium and a virus. So the virus is the tinier than bacteria, and they're they're the they have smallest. Um, particle as far as how tiny they are to be able to get through our body, especially through the nasopharynx, unlike bacteria. But also unlike bacteria, the, what the viruses like to do is to get right inside your cells into the genetic material, and they infect either the RNA or the DNA. They also cannot survive without a host, so they have to have our body to replicate, Bacteria can hang out in the environment for long periods of time. So there's a resistant organism called MRSA or MRSA. There's also one really difficult one called CRE, or carbapenem-resistant uh, bacteria that uh, are gram-negatives. And they tend to cause a lot of things like respiratory infections and hospital acquired infections. But the viruses really need to have our body to survive. This particular virus, coronavirus, has seven different species to it, and the one we're talking about is SARS-CoV-2. The first coronavirus in the whole group was discovered in the 1930s and and causing respiratory infections in chickens, and then it was discovered in humans around 1960s, and so they call this an envelope virus because the outside surface of it, you've probably seen the pictures on TV of, of how this looks, and inside on the outside of it, is this lipid oily substance an envelope they call it an envelope virus good thing about that particular coating is that it's very susceptible to things like uh, soap just regular soap and thank goodness Lysol bleach any of the disinfectants we might be using and alcohol and so what happens the reason they have that envelope around them is so they can evade evade the immune system you know keep away from it um, and so we have DNA, RNA, and retroviruses. And coronaviruses, this particular ones, what's called an RNA virus. So the seven types, the four that were first discovered, just caused the common cold. You know, they went from an animal source, like through chickens and through birds, got into humans, and for the most part, we'd just get, you know, common cold in the winter months especially. And you'd go to your doctor, maybe they did a flu test and said you're negative, you don't have flu. Well, we probably would have said, well, it's probably coronavirus. But back in 2003, we had this sudden acute respiratory syndrome, and they called that SARS-CoV-1, that particular virus, and that that very much attacked the lungs. And so you saw people going into this acute respiratory distress like we are now with the second strain, but there's something different about the second strain from the first. Then we started to see in 2012 what's called MERS-CoV, a Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, And that was seen in over 21 countries, and the source was thought to be bats and camels, especially over there in the Middle East. Now, this particular virus, 2019, uh, the SARS-CoV-2, it's a a new virus that they now have named the infection it causes, COVID-19, representing the coronavirus, its infectious disease, and it happened in 2019. And the source they have thought this has come from are bats, especially, uh, possibly other animals that were in the Wuhan, uh, China area where it first uh, started to come out. There have been many kinds of conspiracy reports and different evaluations of where it came from, whether it came from some laboratory and possibly there was an escape of it accidentally. We'll never know. Um, it's probably a mute, mute uh, point at this case. We have it and we've got to deal with it. And so the first case that was reported from Wuhan, China was December 31st. Uh, but the first case in the U.S. was January 15th, and that was from somebody who had traveled from Wuhan over to Washington State, and that's they had it, and they could trace it back. Well, they came from China. Then we had the first case where somebody got infected in the U.S. with no known travel to any part of China on January 31st, and that's when the government stopped the flights to and from China to the U.S. So that's that's just basically where we are with this. It's the virus of SARS-CoV-2 and it causes the disease or the infection called COVID-19.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for all that information, Maureen. And Maureen, um, why does why does the media, especially, um, they keep showing the coronavirus as a circle, a round circle with spikes coming off of it. Is this what it looks like under a microscope?
2: Yeah, so this particular virus has these crown-like spikes on their surfaces, and this is how they're able to get in and kind of, you know, attach to cells and replicate within the inside of the cells that's why they called it the corona it looks like a crown all around the outside of this particular virus and what they do is once they get into your cells and they get into uh, they inject a strand of RNA that contains the entire coronavirus gen- genome its own genes and they make millions of copies of itself within the cells and then they release those, and they infect other parts of the body, especially they start moving from the nasal pharynx down into the lungs. Uh, so that's that's why they call it the corona. It's got a crown around it.
1: <laughs> oh, wonderful! Uh, it it really does make sense now uh, <laughs> where the name came from. And right. Maureen, when you touch you touch base on why it's named COVID nineteen. Um, they name the virus severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus two. Um, which is the SARS-CoV-2. Um, is there anything else about why they named it COVID-19? Well, this
2: the the group that names it is the International Committee on Taxonomy of Viruses, or ICTV, and they named it because the first manifestations and of symptoms looked similar to what had happened in 2003 with SARS-CoV-1. So that's what that. S-A-R-S is Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, and named it number two on February 11th. And that was chosen because this virus is genetically related to that original strain of 2003. And that's how the virus is a name based on their genetic structure. And they look at that structure so they can then develop diagnostic tests and vaccines and possible medications. As we, you know, see there's a few new ones out now that they're um, doing clinical trials on. And so diseases are then named to enable the discussion on disease prevention, spread, and transmissibility and the severity and treatment of it. So we want to talk at times about, like, the virus itself, having research done on the virus, and then the disease it causes for the treatments and research and how it's transmitted. So human diseases, um, the preparedness and responses of that is the World Health Organization's roles. And so the diseases are officially named versus the virus. The virus is named by that international committee, uh, but the WHO, under the International Classification of Diseases (ICD), they name they named a COVID nineteen based on the fact it was coronavirus and it started to appear in two thousand nineteen.
1: Okay. Thank you so much, Maureen. And we have three minutes until we go to our first commercial break. And, you know, today is Global Hand Washing Day or Hand Hygiene Day. Perfect time. Um, you want to review the basic steps on, you know, great hand washing
2: technique? Sure. So, the, the most important thing is if you can wash your hands with soap and water, I said earlier the lipid uh, layer around it will be destroyed by. Soap and the good news is alcohol as well, because we have alcohol-based sanitizers. So if you have access to a sink and water, and you know somewhere around the world, they don't have access to water. So hand washing is very difficult for them, and and even getting sanitizer is difficult for them. You know, I remember I was lecturing in another country once, and they talked about some of these countries making alcohol out of potatoes, (laughs) you know, like fermenting things to make alcohol sanitizers. That's another thing that the WHO helps other countries with uh, how do they get access to things that we just take for granted in the U.S. water soap and even sanitizers so when you're doing your hands when you're washing your hands what you want to do is make sure you put on a good amount of soap that's going to suds and get all areas of the hands and you want to scrub them first rubbing the palms then you rub through your fingers then you rub on the outside make sure you do your thumbs and then you actually make like a little fist and you start scrubbing on the inside of your palm And and take your time. I mean, it's 20 seconds. So if you count up to 20, you can do it that way. Or some will sing two rounds of happy birthday or they will say the alphabet very slowly. But something that will give you that time. And I always say, just meditate. Just take a break to just slow down (laughs) and just think of what you're doing and kind of meditate on hand washing. If you don't have access to washing your hands, then the recommendation is to use an alcohol-based hand rub. So there were a lot of, you know, on YouTube and on Facebook, social media, talking about making your own sanitizer. You can do that, but you have to get alcohol that's more than 60%. Um, and so there is some, like, say, a Russian vodka or something that's 110 proof that you can get an alcohol that's more than 60% if you want to make a home brew. Uh, there are things you can add to it, like aloe. There are some essential oils that we know, uh, things that have clove in it, maybe tea tree oil. Uh, even peppermint. There are some of those that are antiviral and sometimes people put some drops of that into the alcohol. A lot of people use aloe though to give that so that it just is you know, um, better on the hands. It gives it a little bit of a coating. It doesn't kind of irritate and dry your skin out. So that's an important thing also to make sure there's enough that you pump and then cover all surfaces of your hands
1: wonderful I love the idea about adding the aloe and essential oils to the alcohol (laughs) wonderful I'm going to try that today but right now Uh we are going to take a break and we're going to pause for a moment and hear um, our special word from our uh, sponsors and please stay tuned we'll be back right after these messages
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: To help support the C. diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free one 844 4 c That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala.
1: Welcome back to the program and thanks so much for joining us today. We have uh, Maureen Spencer joining us today as our special guest here to discuss the coronavirus uh, COVID-19 a time to review the basics through prevention and symptoms and the healthcare focus today and this is part two last week we discussed uh, the initial introduction was part one and right now I'd like to welcome back Maureen thanks so much for joining thanks. us today Maureen thank you Nancy You're welcome. You know, there's so much information. uh, And and every day there's something new being, um, you know, discovered and researched and brought out to the media to educate and and let us know about the different parts of this coronavirus, the COVID-19. And, you know, even the symptoms have changed. And if you wouldn't mind just reviewing what are the symptoms of the COVID-19. Sure. Sure.
2: Well, the first thing that's fortunate for all of us, is, and I always think of, let's look at the positive with this. About 80% or so of people that get contact with this virus have an asymptomatic case or very mild that they didn't even think they had it. That's really good news. Uh, that's why when you think about it, all the healthcare workers that are out there, all the supermarket, you know, and the pharmacists and everybody, even though they have a mask on, you know, it's. It's at least it's showing us that wearing a mask and doing better hand hygiene is keeping it from getting into, you know, the public, uh, the public, like say Ebola, Ebola has a would would have had a much faster movement um, into people caring for them. And that was a real concern. But this one here, 80 percent. And then there's a subgroup that go to the hospital, say 20 percent that's sick enough to either go to the hospital or urgent care and, you know, get cared that way. But if they end up in the hospital, then there's a subset that gets in the ICU and a subset that die. So that's when we're talking about that death, death rate. Of all the people that were tested, how many people died? The more testing we do, and there's a lot more now. I mean, I looked, I'm from Massachusetts. I looked on the Massachusetts Department of Health, and they had a list right there of all the testing sites, all over Massachusetts, where you can go to get a test. And so a lot of people are getting tested to find out, first of all, do they have it? <clears throat> so that would be if you have a positive antigen test and you either have symptoms or you might be in what's called the incubation period. You're, you have it in you and you haven't really exhibited your symptoms yet, which can be for up to 14 days, which is why they have that quarantine. Then there are other tests looking at antibody. You have it, You might not have even known you had it, but it's showing that you were exposed to it and you have antibody in your body. What we don't know yet is whether, if you have antibody, will you not get a second infection if you're exposed to it again? That's not clear yet. Once it starts to replicate, as I said, in those cells, especially in your nose, what's called the nasopharynx. So it's beyond the, the anterior areas, the front part of your nose, which is where the masks really help. And it gets way up into the upper part, uh, going up towards your eyes, that area of the nose, and replicates. It starts moving through the body and will start to cause the symptoms. So often people will get a fever, just like you do with influenza. You're feeling okay, okay, and then all of a sudden, that night or the next day, you feel like you're hit by a truck. (laughs) You're on the couch, you have a fever, it can spike as high as 104, shaking chills. Because your body's showing that there's kind of like a poison or something in your body. And a lot of that is your immune response that gives you those kinds of symptoms. It's how we fight infection. I always say, like a fever, think about it. We're boiling up because we're 75% water. Uh, you boil water to kill organisms, you sterilize things. So it's, it's part of our mechanism to try to, you know, kill the virus. So that's one dry cough. So that's a little different than, say, a bacterial pneumonia. If somebody got a pneumococcal pneumonia or haemophilus influenza, there's different things, the bacteria, they usually tend to be very productive with green sputum and just lots and lots of fluids coming up. This one tends to be very dry and extreme fatigue. If you gotta think about it, your body's going into a battle and it's going to make you very exhausted. So you need to rest. You need to drink lots and lots of fluids. To me, that's like the number one most important thing. Flush it out. Think of yourself as a dialysis machine. I have got to get this stuff out of me. So drink, whether it's tea or water especially, and stay away from soft drinks. Stay away from sugar. Uh, sugar can depress the immune system. So absolutely, alcohol, sugar, stay away from it. When you are sick, just water and maybe herbal teas. Uh, people have loss of appetite very often, and now we're finding um, loss of smell. Uh, people just are, are, you know, not just smell but taste. Um, I'll talk about that in a moment. And then muscle and joint aches, because that's where a lot of times these immune complexes, as our body fights, it ends up in the joints, and you just feel, and then the muscles, and you just feel all achy all over. And some people can then develop some spasms and shortness of breath with that cough. And that's uh, indicative that you might start, be starting to get this pneumonia. Some of the new symptoms that have been coming out through the neurologic uh, research is. Frost, frostbite like lesions. they some found people come in and their toes look like they have frostbite or they're blue. Uh, some people have burning sensation of the toes in a, in a skin rash. So that's being reported from some dermatologists now. And uh, there's also, because this virus affects a certain part of these proteins called ACE2 proteins that line many of the, um, uh, the organs of the body, it, we're now seeing that it can infect infect the brain, the kidneys, the liver, the heart, and other organs, and that's where these neurologic symptoms come in, the loss of smell and taste, uh, the tingling, but some people are getting dizziness and confused and delirium. They've seen some uh, seizures and strokes in some people, so it really depends um, how your body reacts to it. Another thing is GI symptoms. So you get a loss of appetite, you start having some nausea and diarrhea, abdominal pain, and you're not even thinking this could be covid because you're thinking, oh, my, I got a GI thing or I got norovirus. So that's the problem with some of the cases getting misdiagnosed or not diagnosed. They have sometimes very unusual symptoms. Um, but again, always call your PCP or before you go anywhere, leave your house if you have symptoms. Call your physician or call the urgent care center because they're doing a lot of the screening and the um, evaluation by telehealth. They want to actually talk to you before you arrive because they'll have clear instructions what to do when you do arrive. So it's it's quite a virus. This is different than SARS CoV one, the way that this one's acting in the body.
1: Exactly. It's incredible. And it affects almost every symptom uh system, doesn't it, Maureen?
2: Yeah. Yes. It does. And that's that's why we're Learning so much, I mean, we're in the midst of this outbreak, and so I, you know, as a consultant, all I do is read research all day long, listen to the news, you know, scanning all the journals. It's just overwhelming every single week, something that you learn day by day about what this virus does. So it's just amazing to be in the middle of a pandemic that we talked about for many, many years, but it's, it's happening. We're in it. It is.
1: (laughs) Yes, we are, and Maureen, maybe you can explain to our listeners, is the virus being shared from human to human, or are animals transferring it to the humans?
2: Well, the first case that came out um, in the U.S. just last month was, and it hit the media, that there was a, a tiger that had a respiratory illness at a zoo in New York City, and so they tested several of the lions and tigers, and then they showed signs of respiratory illness, and lo and behold, they were positive, and they had been exposed to a zoo employee who was infected with the virus. They've done some recent uh, studies, and they've shown that it, it can get in dogs, cats, and even minks and ferrets. And so what they've done is these they've tested positive, and so they kind of have recommendations that if, you know, on the CDC website, there's a whole section there on cats and dogs. They found that the cat is probably the most susceptible species for SARS-CoV, and it can have, you know, clinical disease. Um, but they're not sure whether they are transmitting it just among one another or it was human to them versus them to human. But they have recommendations about if you're, you know, touching any of the animals, just, again, the hand hygiene that I talked about before and after. You know, I remember in the hospital uh, when they brought the pet therapy dogs in, they would always walk around with a container of sanitizer. So if you went to try to touch that dog, they would make you sanitize your hands, then touch the dog, pet the dog, and sanitize your hands after you were done. That's the same thing you should be doing in your home, just to keep them protected as well. It's just to make sure you you wash your hands. And if you are infected, then you really should avoid close contact with your pets and have another household uh, care for the animals and, you know, make sure that you're good, not just good hand hygiene, but you wear a mask around the animals if possible. If you can't get somebody else to to take them and keep them indoors as much as possible, while this is going on. I mean, you know, I know you're, you're going to take your dogs, especially out for, out for walks, but make sure that they're kept away from people the six feet, social distancing as well to keep them from getting infected.
1: Okay. And Maureen, would you recommend us watching the paws of the, our, our pets when, once they do come back into the house?
2: Yeah, you could. I mean, we're not thinking that this is picked up from the floor. You know, uh, it, you know f- the floor is always dirty. You know, the ground and the floor is the dirtiest thing because all the particles travel from the air down by gravity and they end up on the floor. We do recommend people coming in like healthcare workers who are in places where there are a lot of sick people or nursing homes or rehab facilities that are having a lot of struggles with this to not wear those shoes home. You know, change into a pair of shoes that are clean or when they come home, change the shoes and the uniform. Again, preferably not wear that uniform home and make sure that you take everything off before you come into the house so you don't transmit it on the floor. I mean, think about animals. That's what they're doing constantly. They're on the floor. Sniffing things and, you know, picking up food that fell off the table. So, you know, those are just things you have to think about. So, yeah, you could, you know, because they lick. What do they do? They lick their paws, you know, and just maybe just give it a wipe, you know, with an alcohol wipe, not a, <clears throat> not a disinfectant. So, you don't want to take Clorox wipes because those are for the environment, not for the skin. But you could use, say, one of those Purell wipes or a hand cloth wipe that you can get, or you can make your own with paper towels. And you can put some sanitizer in it, make your own sanitizer wipes, and you can wipe them off that way.
1: Okay, (laughs) wonderful. And right now we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the coronavirus, COVID-19, with our guest Maureen Spencer. Please don't go anywhere. We'll be back within a few minutes. Mm
3: Your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
0: to help support the c-diff foundation please visit our website cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free one 844 4 c that's 1-844-367-2343 Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office?
3: opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness
0: you are listening to c spores and more if you have a question please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org now back to our program here again is your host nancy Kerala.
1: Welcome back to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today. We are here today with our special guest, Maureen Spencer, who is here to discuss the coronavirus disease, the COVID-19, a time to review the basics through prevention and symptoms and the healthcare focus today, and this is part two of our program. And Maureen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. You're welcome now we have you have covered an enormous amount of information and this would be a really wonderful time to discuss masks um, face coverings uh, in lieu of the n95 shortage uh, can individuals find protection using the cloth or surgical mask when out of their homes?
2: yeah so this is an important topic because some cities or towns or states, are requiring that you wear a mask when you're out in public. Uh, Massachusetts has put that into place starting tomorrow, that people have to have a mask on when they're out in public. And so a lot of people are very confused about masks, what masks to use and so forth. This First, just want to say the CDC does have a frequently asked question site on how to protect yourself. So you can always go to the CDC. They even have instructions of how to make masks. They actually have the sewing plans and everything. YouTube videos are all over the place on how to make masks. I see them on Facebook and so forth. There's also a really good site on masks frequent masks mask M A S K S A Q, meaning frequently asked question dot com. And that's a really good one that talks about the different types. So first, why are they important? So even just having a simple mask, even if it's that bandana that you put over a one you made with a sock or you know, you made uh, your own out of a um you know, some kind of cloth or a jersey. What they do is they're good at trapping the droplets uh, and preventing those from getting into your nose and into your mouth. So there's this outside layer. Like in the influenza outbreak of 1918, that Spanish flu outbreak, all they had back there was bandanas. They really didn't have, really, they had cloth masks, you know, that's for surgery, but they had the bandanas, most of them, and it worked. I mean, they will just prevent large droplets from getting at you. So you want the social distancing to stay away from, the spray that comes out of somebody coughing or sneezing, even if they're asymptomatic, they can transmit it. See, you know, people just don't get that. I was out yesterday and I'm in Florida right now. Nobody is wearing masks. I was just so disappointed. But does that mean I'm not going to wear no No, I wore my mask <laughs> and I have my sanitizer as soon as I get in the car. You know, it, your health is your choice. And so that's been some of the challenge for people that don't want to get it and want to be good and wear the mask the people that are in the non compliers So you just have to just take care of yourself. And so wear the mask as much as possible in pharmacies and stores and so forth. But that will that will protect you. So they did do a study and published it in Nature magazine at the University of Hong Kong. And they looked at 100-level pe- people, just to an example. And they had various kinds of infectious diseases, the influenza, rhinovirus, and a mild coronavirus. And they had them exha- exhale into this giant funnel. And sometimes their noses and mouths weren't covered, and other times they just had a simple, not an N95, but just a good, well-fitting mask. Without the mask, the particles were able to linger in the air from those, you know, the contagious droplets from them, and about 30% of the time they were tested. When they infect, when they wore a mask, the person who was infected with this, these ronavirus as flu, it blocked the virus droplets from coming out um, from the mask a hundred percent of the time. So there's been research that's been done showing that mask will work. The key thing is when you have a mask, I, you know, just an example, I was consulting for a law enforcement department, uh, this, uh, last week and they told me that they were given one N95 and they're using the same one over and over and over again. Nobody had talked to them about how to put it on and off, um, The fact that you should be replacing these, you know, there's just a lot of confusion. You'll see people wearing a mask that's, you know, a surgical mask that, you know, to be honest with you, they're only good for a couple of hours. And then in the hospital, they need to be replaced. But we're reusing a lot of this stuff. But you want to wash your hands before you apply it so you don't contaminate the mask. And then when you're removing it, not to touch the outside part of the mask, you have to be kind of careful about the use of it. And then making sure if you are going to store it, you store it in a safe manner not throw it in your car so it's on the floor or stuffed between the sides of the seat or up in your your visor you really should have a plastic bag so you can keep it clean uh, while you're doing it and then making sure that the it covers the bridge of your nose a lot of them will have like a a little metal bar that you can then form to your nose and making sure that when you tie it that you seal the sides of your face so a lot of people prefer the ones that have the elastic rather than because you can usually get a pretty good fit. I actually wear a mask that's called an antimicrobial mask that came out the end of March um, in public. So that I have it's coated with an antimicrobial solution that will kill the virus. And so for me, that's just having a mask on, but another layer of protection than an antimicrobial. they're, they're called Easy Wrap, uh, com is the name of the, this particular mask. So that's important to make sure that when the mask is on, it's nice and tight and covers all the way around your whole face down under your chin. So wearing it outside, you know, it it depends on what you're doing. If you're outside walking your dog and you're, you're outside exercising, you're running and you're away from people, they basically say it's probably safe to go out without a mask. So you saw a lot of people at the beach, you know, the news reports that came up and they're at parks. Some of them are very crowded now, so it's very hard to get the six feet. So you just have to use your own judgment. Take it with you, and if all of a sudden you start to see lots and lots of people around you walking with you or running around you, um, then put the mask on. Because they don't know with the heavy breathing that occurs with um, aerobic exercise if that's going to spread the virus. And another thing about masks that have come up, what about kids? What should we do with children? So the CDC is saying under two years of age, it's best not to use a mask. Um, but anything over two years, you have to be very careful with kids. The type of mask definitely should have the ones with the elastic. You don't want to have them have ties. You know, God forbid, worrying about strangulation or anything like that. And them trying to tie it themselves behind their head is kind of tricky. So making sure that if they're going to the grocery store and running errands with you, which they actually recommend you don't do that during the pandemic. You know, try not to take your children into the supermarket if at all possible. Sometimes that's hard. But if they are outside um, and they're playing in their own property, your own playground, whatever, they're fine. But if you're taking them out and and now the places are opening back up again, parks are opening, maybe playgrounds are opening, uh, use your judgment. You know, if they're going to be around a lot of other children, you might want to have them put the mask on. And if not, uh, make sure you have sanitizer. So there are different kinds. The N95s are the ones we have a shortage And those are the ones we specifically want for all of the EMS, law enforcement, nurses, doctors, medical assistants, you name it, the ones that are right in front of COVID-19, working with patients that are infected. That's the number one priority. Um, Medical masks, we call like a surgical mask. They're in also short supply because we want to conserve those for the medical workers and the law enforcement. I actually told the police last week, Going to keep using your, your N95 because you can't get new ones, although I suggested they go get them some new ones. But wear a cloth mask or a certain over it so you get another layer of protection and you can keep the N95 clean. So we want to kind of conserve the medical masks for the healthcare environment, but you know they're better, they have a good 60 to 80 percent chance of filtering out particles. The N95, the word 95 means a 95 or better. Filtration of the particles. So now you get to the surgical, sixty to eighty percent. So the CDC has a has recommendations um, on how to make masks and the different material. Some people are using T-shirts or cotton quilting fabric, tea towels, pillowcases, flannel pajamas. Some will actually put a coffee filter or paper towel inside the mask, so that gives you another layer of protection. scabs, bandanas. And some people are actually using uh, vacuum cleaner bags. They cut a piece of that out and put that inside their cloth mask so they have better protection. Now, there was a study that was just published, I think yesterday, or, or, you know, over over the last few days, in Business Insider, again, May 4th, that was yesterday. That's what I mean. The date is like every day coming forth. And this one here is a great um, study on mask filtration, and they had a company, it's called TSI, uh, you know, an instrument leading company that did all this testing on all the different masks. And so that is available on that website, maskfaq.com. And also there were instructions in on the Business Insider on how to use blue shop towel surgical masks. They found that the blue shop towels had one of the best filtrations for homemade masks. So it's become quite the topic and you see now people have their sports teams and there's even one now I thought was kind of cool, Nancy, where they take a picture of you and they will make the mask to look exactly like the lower part of your nose down to your chin. So when you go to see a patient, they're actually getting to see what you really look like. And another I thing like that, that. Health Care Work is doing is having a big badge made with their picture on it, with their name, when they're wearing a mask so that they, they will know what they really look like. Imagine that's being a patient great. in isolation and you don't even know who these people are. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. Trying to recognize people that are coming in day in and day out taking care of you. So there's just different things are trying to do to kind of deal with this whole covering off face issue.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, it, that's a really great idea, Maureen, because, you know, the patients are mm-hmm. already scared, high anxiety, the fear. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, everyone's covered from head to toe. You don't know who these people are. Yeah, and the,
2: other, but, and the important thing is to wash your masks. As I said, you know, it's, it's not people take it into the store quickly into the supermarket or pharmacy, which is what we've been primarily, you know, been able to go to until now they're starting to open things up. And then they throw it in the car. Well, make sure, get a plastic bag and keep it in the car to put it in. And then when you're done for the take, take it in, throw it in the laundry, a little bit of bleach in case you got any COVID particles on the outside of the mask. You know, you don't want to be touching that and having it now contaminating all the surfaces in your car. You know, the thing about infection control, especially when I was talking to these police last week, it requires discipline. And a lot of us, especially people like them, where they're watching constantly and their mind is going a mile a minute watching and observing and nurses too and doctors. It's, you know, that's why we forget to wash our hands. Why we might forget an infection prevention measure. So you have to get like a routine set up. Um, make sure that, you know, you use the mask going out of the car, you sanitize going out, you put your mask on, you go in, you wipe, bring a wipe with you in a little plastic bag, wipe if they don't have it at the market, and you wipe off the cart where you're going to have your hands. And some people are wearing gloves for that reason, so they don't touch anything, and it prevents them from rubbing their eye or rubbing their nose, trying to rub a part of their face, you know, kind of with the gloves. So we don't recommend that because you don't know how contaminated they are, but I have seen a lot of glove use lately. Then you want to make sure that you get in the car, take the mask off carefully, put it in a plastic bag, sanitize your hands, and then you can even, you know, even wipe down, if you didn't have gloves on, a sandy cloth again and just wipe down your steering wheel and the door. That requires a lot of discipline, you know, day in and day out. We're doing it, and at times, you know, my my boyfriend will say to me, hey, did you sanitize your hands? Did you remember... You know, I mean, we kind of have to check each other. So that is is the biggest challenge with infection control is getting the discipline that is involved with it, that everybody has to just keep remembering constantly to do a a routine. So get a routine. You know, just think about your own routine and just keep doing that day in and day out because this is going to last for a while. This is just not going away, you know, within a few months. And we don't know if it's going to be seasonal. So we may be doing a lot of this for quite a while until we get a better idea if it's going to settle down.
1: Exactly. And Maureen, thank you so much for you know, explaining and the step by step and all the great ideas and the tips that people can use uh, regarding um, mask education. That's what that just was. Uh, at this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the coronavirus COVID 19, a time to review the basics through prevention, symptoms, and the healthcare focus today with our special guest, Maureen Spencer. Please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages.
3: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks. Because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today?
3: You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: You are listening to C. diff Spores and More. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala.
1: Welcome to the program and thank you so much for joining us today. With our special guest, Maureen Spencer, who has been here and last week also, this is part two of a discussion with a review with COVID-19 coronavirus disease, a time to review the basics through prevention and symptoms and the healthcare care focus today. And at this time, uh, we welcome back Maureen to the program. Thank you, Nancy. You're welcome, Maureen. And Maureen, you have just shared a wealth of information with our audience today. And the big question is COVID-19 testing. Can you review some of the testing and the information going on around that right now?
2: Sure. I kind of discussed it a little bit earlier when we were talking about symptoms, uh, because that's how we find out through the test that we're doing whether you have had the infection, whether you had an asymptomatic case of it or a mild case, Um, and also whether you have antibodies showing that you did have it and now your body is showing that you built up what's called an antibody response. So there's antigens. So a viral antigen is the virus, and an antibody is the way that we fight that and build up in our immune system what are called antibodies. So the viral antigen test, antigen will pick up whether you have a current infection. And you may go just to get tested and find out that you're positive and you're like, well, I don't have any symptoms. I just want to get tested. Or you say, I have had a sore throat or "My, I do have a weird rash on my legs or whatever. A, there are some very strange manifestations of this one. So you get tested and you're positive. That says you have a current infection, that you are now somebody who could transmit it to other people. It's important to know for us to identify And then they're doing contact tracing in a lot of places now. I know they're talking about even an app and so forth where they could contact you if they find out that somebody tests positive and they want you to know that you were exposed to it. So you can look for symptoms and get tested. So that's the viral antigen. And that was, you know, when I was talking to the police, some of them have been tested after having contact with a COVID patient. And they said, well, we were negative. And I said, well, you were negative at that point. But you don't know whether a couple of days later your test turned positive as the virus started to take a hold on you. So you should get another test you get, you, if you're exposed in this situation. Get retested, you know, just to make sure a week later they, it didn't turn positive because now you've got virus that are replicating in your body. The other one we have is called the antibody test, which that's, they're trying to get a lot of that kind of testing now to get an idea of how many people in the U.S. were exposed to it so we can get a better idea of how it's spread throughout the country. That's why statistics are a little tricky right now. And, you know, it's, it's almost like they love, you know, every day, well, we got this many more people, or, you know, many more test positive. It's representing test positive, you know, but that's not as simple as what kind of test. Well, you're talking about the antigen test who's infected or you're talking about the antibody people that had it and built up a response. So they don't say that. And then also, of the people that had a positive viral antigen test, what percentage of them were asymptomatic, what percentage had a mild case, and what percentage were absolutely COVID-19 and ended up having to go to the hospital? So that's why I kind of just take all the statistics with a grain of salt. (laughs) So you can now get the test um, in many places locally. Um, I went on the Massachusetts website, like I said, and I ran off the list. It was a PDF. I was able to download and it had to list all the areas in Massachusetts that are doing testing. And I already had somebody reach out to me on, you know, Facebook and said, do you know where I can go get a test? And I just sent her that list. So look in your department of health, just go on your state and the department of health and go to COVID testing and it will come up. It will, even if you search online. Uh, today, I put in go- COVID testing, and it absolutely brought up where I am right now in Lee County. So, these are the testing areas that are available to you. So, that's, that's kind of great. Now, who should be testing? Uh, people who have a mild illness and can recover at home, uh, They for a while there, they were saying, don't get tested because we want to use the test because they were so limited for people that looked like they had symptoms. Well, now, they're they're really trying to get more and more tests out there. So, You always want to call, like I said, your PCP and tell them why you think you should get tested. Maybe you've been exposed to somebody who had it or you think they had it, and then you weren't sure if you had it because you had some mild symptoms or you think you have it. So it's really important to make sure you're still using your PCP to get approval to get the test done. But make sure you always call your health care provider first or an urgent care if you can't get a hold of your your health care provider just go on your department of public health and you'll be able to find that information.
1: Yep. Okay. And and the test results, Um, do you, can you chime in and explain the test results to the audience, Maureen?
2: Yeah. So if you test positive by the viral test, um, you are, you know that you're sick or you're, you know, you've been caring for somebody by sick. As I said, that means that, you, uh, test positive for the antigen that you now have that. You're in a current state of infection. If you test negative, you probably would not, what it means is you probably were not infected at the time your sample was collected. But that's why I said that about having to get retested. If you think, especially EMS and law enforcement, nurses, doctors and so forth, they may have to get a second test to make sure like a week later that they're not now developing some of the symptoms. And it also doesn't mean that you're going to get sick. Like I said, almost 80% of these cases are either asymptomatic or mild, which has been, you know, one of the positives with this is that it's only a very small subset with very high risk factors, hypertension, diabetes, cancer, anything with an immunosuppressed state, especially with cancer. Um, People that are smokers or COPD, oh, no, actually smoking is interesting. There have been a couple of reports coming out noting that the lower rate in smokers and they don't know why. I don't know if nicotine has something to do with it. I thought that was interesting. But people with chronic obstructive lung disease, especially a lot of smokers do have problems with their lungs and they might make them more susceptible if they do get infected because of the condition of all the soot that gets in the lower parts of the air sacs in people that are um, smokers. So there's a whole list of, you know, risk factors that and you can understand why we're seeing more of it in extended care facilities, especially elderly Uh, They don't build up a good immune response anymore, and they often don't have fevers, so it's very hard to diagnose it. A lot of times it's just confusion with them, a symptom of not not seeming right. Um, And that's why it's going so fast through some of those communities. It's very hard to diagnose. So I think that what they're trying to do is a lot of testing in homeless shelters and nursing homes, rehab facilities, and so forth, where they have people with very high-risk symptoms, uh, I mean diseases.
1: Exactly. And Maureen, right now, all we can say is thank you. Thank you to you, all the research thank that you are doing. And I know it's a daily event and you are so busy <laughs> and we just say thank you. Thanks for being here today to share all this wealth of information to our global listeners who really, really appreciate all of this. Uh, I know we're a seed of spores and more, but that's it. It's And more. And the COVID-19 has um, absolutely uh, step forward and has put a lot of our C. diff patients at high risk, also. So, we Thanks. just want to say thank you. You're welcome. Aww. Thank you very well, much for having me always and we can't wait to have you back and I know you will return because this is not over yet but we thank you for joining us today and at this time the members of the C. diff foundation would like to thank our sponsor Clorox Healthcare to learn more about their products and how Clorox Healthcare is keeping our environment safer please visit the Clorox Healthcare website, which is cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash radio. We wish to acknowledge the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health through research and developing new products to address C. diff infection prevention treatments protecting the gut microbiome, clinical trials, diagnostics, and environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about clinical trials focused on C. diff infections and recurrent C. diff, please visit the C. diff foundation website www.cdifffoundation.org for clinical trials in progress. Help them to help you to help others. To learn more about upcoming events that you will not want to miss out on, please visit the C. diff foundation's website and we send out our get well wishes to all our patients being treated for and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corallo with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day.